2: it is 83 degrees here on a really gorgeous Saturday evening 708 in the Twin Cities Uh, obviously many many of us have faced um, family battles with cancer if it's not been us individually it certainly has been loved ones and one of the ones that that certainly is the most devastating is uh, brain cancer and I personally have known people who have uh, fought this and uh, Really struggled and uh, ultimately uh, succumbed to uh, uh, geoblastoma, which is the um, form of aggressive brain cancer that currently John McCain is struggling with. Senator Edward Kennedy also uh, died of, of that kind of brain cancer. But now there is word that there might be a, a new possibility in terms of fighting it. That it's something that you really wouldn't expect. One of the reasons that I find, you know, medicine and, and just, you know, reading about advances in medicine so, so exciting. And that is uh, that the once dreaded polio virus may be perhaps a weapon in fighting this deadly form of brain cancer. Joining us right now is Dr. John Trusheim He's a clinical professor at the University of Minnesota Medical School. And, and, Doctor, first of all, I want to make sure I'm pronouncing your name correctly. Did I get it right?
3: Yeah, you came close. It's a, it's a Heim name like Sternheim, so it's Trushheim.
2: Truheim. Okay. All right. Yeah. Truh, okay. Let, let me ask you, Doctor. Uh, first of all, first of all, why don't you tell us what, what geoblastoma is and how it, when it comes to brain cancer what percentage falls into the, the geoblastoma category and and are there others that are forms of brain cancer that are certainly less uh, deadly and and a little bit easier to treat
3: sure well uh, brain tumors in general are about 2% of all your malignant tumors about 2% and the type that we're talking about tonight as may the glioblastoma is about three people out of a hundred thousand, so it's about twenty-five to thirty thousand people in the United States per year will receive that diagnosis. Just to put it in perspective, there are other deadly types of tumors, but actually, in adults, this is our most problematic. In children, it's a little different.
2: Okay, so the glioblastoma. What what exactly is a glioblastoma, and, and why is it why is it so horrible and and so tough to treat?
3: Sure. Well, there's a couple of technical reasons, if you don't mind me uh, sure. them just for a second. It's, uh, most tumors that are easily treated, not all, but most that are easily treated are very uniform tumors. They're homo- homogeneous, we would say. They're, the cells that make them up are very similar one to another. In fact, it might even be clones, for instance, like leukemias are that way in children. But in the glioblastoma, the one that you're asking about tonight, uh, it's just the opposite, where even in the same tumor, in the same person, there's different types of cells in there. And they're, not, they're all glial cells, they're all glioblastoma cells, but they do have different genetic uh, underpinnings, uh, even if in the same people. So this makes it very difficult for us to find one simple drug, say, that affects all tumors of this type uh, equally well. It's very difficult to find one drug for that. Okay,
2: and I know that there have been you know some remarkable work and and, and remarkable efforts you know, including here in Minnesota in terms of treatments. I, I've got a friend who um, passed away a number of years ago who who had some remarkable um, help from the Mayo Clinic in terms of some experimental work. Uh, but but this is something that almost sounds a little kind of you know you know, a little a little crazy that, that perhaps the polio virus could somehow be used to fight this. How can that possibly work?
3: Sure. Well, it's not as crazy as it might seem just on the surface. Polio is such a devastating disease of the nervous system because it's specific for the nervous system. So one of our troubles with brain tumors is to find some Mechanism, some drug or some mechanism that's specific for the brain, right that doesn't affect other organs too much. So polio by itself is a good candidate for that. Now, what the folks at uh, Duke have done, and they put tremendous amount of energy and effort into this, is not simply to take the polio virus as itself, but to modify it so it does not produce polio. In other words, it doesn't replicate or reproduce itself. And then they also used it because it can get into the brain so well to try to stimulate the immune system in the brain, which is not a very good system. The immune system in the brain is quite weak, actually, not in the body in general, of course, but in the brain it is. And so they modified that virus to be more immunogenic, more stimulating.
2: Okay. And, and you were saying, so does the polio virus, it, it, it doesn't, you know, in its you know, original state didn't affect sort of the brain area?
3: Well, it does. It does affect. That's why it's uh, so deadly. It affects the brain and the spinal cord, all those things, of course. It's very specific for neurologic uh, tissue, but uh, that means it would really uh, try to penetrate that. So uh, one of our problems is to find some uh, system to penetrate only the nervous system, if that's where our tumor is, not to penetrate other systems like, say, the blood or the lung or something like that.
2: And and how, how successful is this? Study and, and and in terms of, of targeting that.
3: Well, it's very good at targeting. We have to we have to be a little conservative about this uh, therapy. It's it's uh, certainly a, a breakthrough in a sense of a modality, some way to try to use a therapy. Uh, the patients uh, to this point have been very affected in the area in which the uh, drug is given, or the polio virus, I should say, is given, and that the immune system can react quite strongly there, and so there can be side effects from that. And that's been, in my opinion, at least the limitation of that therapy so far is that while it's very effective in killing things in the local area, we have to be sure the area is one that can withstand that sort of uh, injury in the first place.
2: In, in terms of you know treating glioblastoma, it, what are some of the other treatments that are out there uh, that, that are working, and, and what is the timeline in terms of... of- treatment uh, from, from diagnosis to, you know, in, in general? And, and can, can one recover from this?
3: Sure. Well, if we're lucky enough to find the tumor early from an early symptom like a seizure or something like that, or most fortuitously, sometimes we find it just because a person had a head injury for no other reason, and we find them very small. But in general, we have to have a good surgery obtained, which cannot be usually curative. It's very hard to take all these out. Uh, in their entirety, then radiation has to be given. It's not uh, optional. And then there's therapies that we're trying out, which are along the similar but not identical line as the folio vaccine, where we're trying to get into the brain tissue itself, change it in some way, or make it more vulnerable to treatment. Uh, we have uh, certain viruses we use uh, in my practice where we try to instill them uh, into the tumor and then actually change the brain tumor makeup, uh, its mm-hmm. DNA. So there's a lot of interest in this general sort of thing. There's many ways to get at this. There's also other types of vaccines that are built on uh, uh, the patient's own cells, and we modify their uh, immune system uh, cells outside their body, of course, and then uh, re-immunize them. Uh, So there's three or four different ways, at, at least, to go at this immunotherapy
2: we're talking with Dr. John Truheim who is uh, the clinical professor at the University of Minnesota Medical School he's an expert on brain tumors uh, specifically uh, glioblastoma let me ask you you, you mentioned early detection uh, and it sounds as if the early detection in in some of these cases is almost accidental unlike you know for instance with perhaps um uh, breast cancer where, where women are encouraged to get, you know, yearly mammograms and then it suddenly there's something in the mammogram that wasn't there last year. Uh, this sounds like it's, it's very different and it almost sounds like it's uh, serendipitous at times when people, when these things are detected early that, that maybe somebody has a head injury you mentioned. Can you elaborate on that?
3: Sure. Well, I didn't mean to say we usually diagnose them that way. So I hope the audience isn't yeah. misunderstanding. But it almost usually sounds like
2: person- it's, it's almost accidental that if if you if you're somebody has a head injury and then they get some kind of a scan, and suddenly you're like, oh my goodness, there wow. there's something there.
3: Yeah, that's our that's our highest chance of helping people, in my opinion. Wow. The, the usual way, as many as not, to find in that way. It's usually the person does have a symptom directly related to the tumor, and it's usually you know, either a seizure or you know, an electrical disturbance of the brain or maybe some behavioral change or it can be a weakness or even paralysis of a limb temporarily those kinds of things related directly to the tumor and that's how we usually find them
2: wow okay and 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 when you do find them like that and and what are the symptoms that that people might come in those very early symptoms if you can kind of go over those again
3: sure the most common one is probably seizure. Now, many people have headache, but the trouble is the headaches are usually so mild that the person is, uh, while they're aware of them, they don't find them alarming, uh, so they don't necessarily see the doctor. Although if you ask them if they had a headache, they'll say, "Well, yes, I had a mild headache for a while now, but nothing." Well, and terrible.
2: who 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 doesn't have a mild headache occasionally? <laughs> many of that's, us, you know, the- that's right.
3: So it's usually something a little bit more dramatic. Uh, You know, many times it is the seizure. Many times their friends or family find that they're just acting a little differently, even before the person recognizes that They might change in their personality or their coordination, these kinds of things.
2: So so a a change in in behavior, because I I think, you know, and I, I know you can't obviously talk about a specific case, but one of the things that I think famously with Senator John McCain was that he was in a Judiciary Committee hearing, and he was you know, questioning somebody, and the questions, frankly, didn't really make a lot of sense. He wasn't really being completely coherent. Obviously, he's a very brilliant man, and people were questioning him and kind of giving him a hard time on social media, and then a few weeks later, came out this diagnosis came out. Is it that kind of thing, where it seems yeah. like the person's reasoning is off?
3: Yes, that's very common, because most of the brain, a uh, very large portion of the brain, is in our behavior and our thought patterns, uh, not wow. just our...
2: Our movements
3: or things like that. Of course, it can be anywhere in the brain, but just thinking about the territories that can be involved, behavior oftentimes is the thing that gives us the clue.
2: Wow. Okay. So, so it can be some, something like that, and then, um, and then you mentioned like the mild headaches, which are, uh, obviously, I mean, how many of us occasionally suffer from a mild headache? But, but um, if, if you do catch it early enough, if you're fortunate in that, or if somebody has a, a mild seizure. That That is is something, and you can remove it, that works, but it sounds like in many times, in many cases, this is not detected and, until it's, you know, really too late.
3: Yeah, well, that's the trouble. Many times the person doesn't have a seizure, perhaps until it's a fairly large tumor. And these types of tumors, it's important to recognize for this type of tumor, they're not really little balls or spheres. They embed themselves a bit in the brain. We like to say they infiltrate the brain. So the surgeon has very little chance of removing 100%, although many times they can remove the vast majority. To to remove 100% of this embedded tumor without injury to the person, to the patient, that gets to be very difficult to do; not commonly done. And is
2: there, you know, is there a risk factor? Because I mean, I somebody I know who passed away, you know, was was relatively young, and um, you know, she's in her early fifties, and and you know, I, there was really no family history. I, I mean, what are are the risk factors, if any?
3: Yeah, the risk factors we don't really have a good handle on. I don't want the audience to think we're ignoring something. Uh, it's not, to my knowledge, really cell phones. Uh, the power involved with the modern cell phone is just too low. Uh, whether it's pesticides in the environment or other things, it's hard to know. There's not one unifying thing, and they're very rare. They can occur in families, but that is actually quite exceptional. Almost all cases are very isolated, one person in a family, not many.
2: Really, so so you haven't been able to look at at you know a family history or or something like that. It's just it's something that, that apparently spontaneously can occur.
3: The vast majority are spontaneous, just as you say. There are, there are exceptions to that, which are known syndromes, but the vast majority are spontaneous, as you say.
2: And, and as you look at, at perhaps this this poliovirus treatment, and you, you mentioned that there are other treatments where you're using other viruses or other things to try and attack. Uh, the the tumor inside the brain. I mean, is there, could this be it? I mean, is is there that much promise there or is it still something that's really kind of up in the air in terms of, you know, your your arsenal for attacking this kind of, of, of deadly disease?
3: Sure. I think that in general, immunotherapy, just speaking in general, not only just about the polio vaccine, but that whole field of ways to handle it, it's very promising, very promising indeed, because it gets us around that very first problem I told you about, where the tumors are quite variable between people, but in an immune system, if it can recognize the different variants, which it might well be able to, uh, because it's in the same person, of course, wow. uh, can get us around that problem. So that's one of the big appeals of this immunotherapy.
2: All right. Well, Dr. John Trutheim, he is a clinical professor at the University of Minnesota Medical School. Thank you so much for your insights, and we certainly wish you all the best because I know that so many families have suffered uh, so terribly because of this uh, devastating, devastating form of cancer, uh, and we appreciate your insights this evening. You bet. It's good to talk to you. All right. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, Bye-bye. folks. Uh, much more ahead. You are listening to News Radio 830 WCCO. We're going to talk uh, coming up with an expert on flooding. Obviously, there's been a lot of that. Uh, in southern Minnesota and also coming up 8 o'clock, uh, Professor David Schultz, so much to talk about uh, with the Supreme Court co- uh, pick coming up from President Trump. So keep it here. You're listening to News Radio 830 WCCO. And I want to give a shout-out to our previous guest, Dr. John Trutheim. He is with uh, the University of Minnesota, but he also is a neuro-oncologist and he is the medical director... Of Abbott Northwestern's Givens Brain Tumor Center. Uh, again, that's Abbott Northwestern's Givens Brain Tumor Center. Uh, obviously, Abbott Northwestern, one of the leading hospitals in our area. Uh, folks there um, have extraordinary expertise in many, many areas, and we want to give him a shout out for being there. Fascinating, fascinating stuff. And, and as I said, I've, I've had, I've known people who have succumbed to. Glioblastoma, and it is uh, such a devastating uh, form of cancer. And again, he is the medical director of the Abbott Northwestern Givens Brain Tumor Center. Want to invite uh, everyone to tune in to WCCO TV Sunday mornings, 6 a.m., 10.30 30 a.m. Uh, we've had some really big, you know, Sunday mornings, and we've got one again tomorrow. We do have a guest on, on our 6 a.m. show. He's Mike Rothman. He's the former Commerce Commissioner. He's running for Minnesota Attorney General. This is a race that suddenly is a big deal. Uh, we've got uh, a lot of very qualified candidates uh, amongst them, obviously Congressman Keith Ellison, who shocked a lot of people by uh, saying he would not run for reelection uh, for Congress. He's going to run for Mr. Attorney General. Uh, Congressman Keith Ellison calling in uh, some uh, IOUs. Uh, Bernie Sanders is coming in to campaign for Congressman Ellison uh, Friday in Minneapolis and also Friday in Duluth. And if you recall, in 2016, uh, in the Minnesota caucuses, uh, the only poll that was done had uh, Hillary Clinton way ahead of Bernie Sanders. Congressman or Senator Bernie Sanders killed, I mean, just slayed uh, Hillary Clinton really, really went, won by 30%. Uh, and it was because, in part, of Congressman Keith Ellison's support. So again, uh, Congressman Keith Ellison calling IOU, calling in his IOUs. That obviously makes it a little harder if you're one of the other candidates like Mike Rothman, and I'll ask him about that. And then we have uh, also Representative Erin Murphy. Uh, she is the DFL endorsed candidate. She won the DFL endorsement in a surprise. She's one of three very strong candidates, uh, Representative Erin Murphy, Congressman Tim Walls. She's running against him, and also, uh, Attorney General Lori Swanson. Uh, so that is going to be an incredibly competitive race. And then, you know, there aren't that many people that get personal shout outs and endorsements on products from the President of the United States. Well, there is a Minnesota businessman who got just that. He is Mike Lindell. He is the CEO of My Pillow. He will also be on WCCO Sunday morning. Alright, folks, we are going to take a break. Uh, we are going to talk with Adina Bank Lees. She's a speaker, author, and trainer about, uh, how do you deal with all the negativity on social media? How do you cope with it? Are you overwhelmed? Is it too much for you? We'll talk about that. And then also we'll be joined by an expert from NOAA on the flooding in southern Minnesota and, and, and what people can do, you know, and, and what lies ahead in terms of the forecast. And then at eight o'clock, Professor David Schultz. All right, folks. We are going to take a break. We'll give you some weather, and we'll have much more ahead. You are listening to News Radio eight three zero WCCO. It is 732, 83 degrees here in the Twin Cities. May Murphy with you until 9 o'clock. Well, are you being traumatized little by little when you flip on the news or log on to social media? Do you feel attacked by the negativity? Can you be traumatized by events that aren't happening to you? I think, yes, you can. Uh, there's so much out there. There's so much news out there. How do, How do you deal with it all? How do you prevent it from all getting to you? Because you've got enough on your plate when it comes to just you. All right, we're joined now by uh, Adina bank She is a certified traumatic stress expert. She's got over 25 years of counseling experience, and she's the author of Covert Emotional Incest, The Hidden Sexual Abuse, A Story of Hope and Healing. Uh, Ms. bank thank you so much for joining us. Uh, I think a lot of us do feel overwhelmed and overloaded by all of that which we are getting on social media and turning on our phones. and you feel like you can't just turn it off. what What do we need to do?
1: Well, first of all, thanks so much, Esme, for having me. This absolutely is an important topic. Um, we're all dealing with this. and so some of the really important pieces for us to take care of ourselves, one, very, very important. Breathe slowly and deeply. <laughs> yes. It's cheap. Yeah. It's free, right? We take it wherever right. we, we're going to go. So that really is important, Esme. I'm going to say one sentence about that. Because when we breathe deeply and slowly, and our exhale is longer than our inhale, it activates the part of our nervous system to calm our body.
2: So you're, you're talking, do this. You're, you're not do just it. saying, hey, take a deep breath. Really, no. take a deep breath and exhale. It'll, it can actually help you.
1: It can actually help you. Biologically, can help you, yes. Um, the other piece, you know, what else can we do? There are several things. So the first is breathe. The second is limit your time on social media, watching the news. It's important for you to know what's going on. Do not bury your ha- head in the sand. Um, limit the time. Right. Right? And, And with that, it's be with your loved ones, be around love and laughter, because that also, biologically, the chemicals are going to calm your body so that you can think clearly. We need everyone to be thinking clearly. And when we're traumatized, overwhelmed, you said, anxious, afraid, we don't think clearly.
2: You know, I, I think, I think one of the things is, is that it's, it's also, you know, as you're kind of like, and probably the worst thing you can do, which is what I occasionally do, is, you know, you're lying there in bed and you check the phone and then, you know, suddenly you're reading one social media story and then you're reading another one and suddenly you're reading about these poor children trapped in the caves in Thailand. And, and, you know, you just feel, you know, your heart starts, uh, racing. I, and I think it's, it's difficult as you, as you kind of plow through things. You, you you find yourself just um, immersed in all of these things that are out there and it's hard to extricate yourself and you know I and I find myself trying to tell my kids to do this and you know don't do it and then I find myself doing it myself <laughs> if if, I, if I'm making any sense it's just it it's it just can be overwhelming and it's difficult to do what you just said
1: it is difficult to do so it takes effort and intention as may because we we can get addicted to that adrenaline that goes. When you said your heart's racing, that's absolutely what happens. And we can get addicted to that chemical. We don't have to ingest anything. And so if you think about it, and I, I'm not sure how many of your readers will re- um, your listeners will remember this, but um, in 2001, uh, September 11th, they played the video over and mm-hmm. over and over again of the planes going into the buildings in New York City. Yes and they talked about how that impacted people's brains to watch it again and again and again. And so that's what's happening with us now. We're getting again and again and again. So to make the conscious choice, and when we breathe, do that breathing slowly and deeply, we can take a pause, just a little pause to go, okay, do I really want to do this? No, I want to go to sleep. I don't want to get activated when I go to sleep. Let me put on something that's calming versus something that's activating.
2: And in terms of you know the, the screen time because this is something you also hear with you know people who, who you know work with adolescents but you're saying sure. it, it, it this is this is for us adults too absolutely
1: it is oh no question about it yeah when we're on that screen time the adrenaline goes and also there are some chemicals that we need like melatonin really important to go to sleep it helps us sleep we're watching a screen it decreases we're going to stay awake.
2: Adina Banklees, uh, is a certified traumatic stress expert. Uh, she's the author of, uh, Covert Emotional Incest, Hidden Sexual Abuse, A Story of Hope and Healing. We're talking to her about, uh, the difficulties that a lot of us have for unplugging and relaxing and, and trying to, you know, de, uh, you know, like detach ourselves from the 24-7 stream uh, of news and, and just information and social media that we all get. Is this something that, that is overwhelming for a lot of people? Is it more prevalent for certain age groups? Or is it sort of creeping into more and more people's lives?
1: That's a great question. Um, I, what I'm seeing is that it's creeping into everybody's life. And it's impacting people differently, Esme. So for some people, they are just avoiding. And they're saying, I don't want anything to do with it. I'm not listening. Uh, I'm just on a total blackout because I can't deal with it. There are other people like we were, you were talking about. You can't stop looking. You can't stop being immersed in it. Um, and so I think it's impacting everyone um, in just in a different way. Right. And it doesn't matter, I think, where you are in the political spectrum. It's impacting everyone.
2: Do you think it, it, this is affecting you know women and men differently?
1: Another really great question. Um, so what we're seeing is that because of the attacks on women with reproductive rights, with the misogyny, with the Me Too movement, um, that women are feeling uh, probably more afraid than in general men are. However, what you also hear is that certain percentage of white men are feeling marginalized themselves now. And so there's a there's a righteousness there, but there's also that terror and fear that, well, we're losing power here. We're not going to be in the majority anymore. What's going to happen to us? So, it's all it's it's everywhere, and it's right. impacting. As I said, it's impacting people differently with different issues.
2: Uh, Adina Bank Lee's is a certified traumatic stress expert. Let me ask you: What are the signs? If, if you're concerned about a loved one or maybe even concerned about yourself, what are some of the signs that maybe this is beginning to affect your life and, and, and take over your life?
1: Very important. So number one is what you mentioned again, Esme, is the overwhelm. Anxiety, uh, heart racing, can't put it down, or some people are feeling very depressed, uh, helpless, hopeless, Pay attention. Big red flags. The irritability. If, you're not, if you don't even know you're anxious or depressed, are you more irritable than you, than you usually are? Are you hearing that from people around you, that you're short, you're snappy? Um, are you kind of trying to take the edge off a little more often with a glass of wine or a drink than you usually would? Be, pay attention. Pay attention. Because we're trying to soothe ourselves. And if I'm going to be drinking more, pay attention. Do I lose my sense of humor? Everything's just too serious. Can't laugh anymore. Pay attention. Difficulty concentrating and forgetfulness. And this is where we talk about uh, women aging after menopause. Like, well, how are you supposed to know the difference between whether you're just postmenopausal or in menopause and you're having difficulty concentrating because of the news cycle, right? Well, it's, you know, it's happening to people and so work life, we talk about the areas of your life that are impacted as well. Your work life uh may be impacted because of that because it's difficult to concentrate and you're forgetting things and it's just really more than the usual. And if somebody mentions it to you, again, pay pay attention, let's be aware of things. Um, and I'm having clients who are talking about their intimate life. Uh, home life being impacted, with parents being more protective of their children than they would be, of uh, their sex life being impacted because there's so much anxiety, and they're so focused on other things that their their intimacy and closeness and being able to be close with uh, their partner as well as other people has really uh, they've they've lost some of that.
2: How can how can people protect themselves?
1: So we go back to. Breathe slowly and deeply with the exhale longer. We go to have fun. Make sure you're hanging out with people you love who love you. You're not talking politics. You're not talking (laughs) news. You're taking a break and you're laughing because laughter puts those chemicals in that make you feel good. Clear your brain. We have to have at least three hugs a day. Three good hugs hugs a day that feel safe, that feel nurturing, because, again, physical touch for us human beings, when it's safe, nurturing touch, also helps to soothe our body and boost our chemicals that boost our immune system and clear our brain.
2: I love that. Three hugs a day. Yeah. That's great. And and, and, and the deep breaths.
1: Absolutely. Very simple. Doesn't cost you anything. And intention, making a decision to do this because it's not usual in our lives.
2: All right. Well, listen, great advice from Adina bank Lees. She is a cert- certified traumatic stress expert. Uh, she has over 25 years of counseling experience, and she is the author of Covert, Emotional Incest, The Hidden Sexual Abuse, A Story of Hope and Healing. Thank you so much, uh, and, and we all need to take your advice.
1: Thank you, Esme. And if people want to continue the conversation, they can go to my website at adinabanklees.com. They can um, get the book on Amazon. And I also have a, a Facebook page they can go to and ask me questions.
2: All right. And also on Twitter, you're at Adina Lees. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you, Esme. Take care.
2: You, you too. Bye-bye. Absolutely. All right. Great advice. Although, you know, and something, I mean, the deep breaths. She's not just saying, take a deep breath. She's saying, take a deep breath. And make that exhale even longer than than the inhale and just uh, surround yourself with uh, good people, laughter, and don't talk politics. Well, I'm still going to talk politics in the 8 o'clock hour. Sorry, folks. With the one and only Professor David Schultz. Uh, We are going to take a break. Uh, When we come back, we are going to be joined by uh, an expert from NOAA. Uh, she is um, Michelle Margraff. She's the Observing Program Leader with NOAA to talk about uh, the flooding in southern Minnesota. Um, uh, Curry, uh, Wabasso, Springfield, uh, very, very heavy rains and uh, obviously a lot of concern in those communities. Uh, so keep it here, folks. News Radio 830 WCCO. We will be right back. It is 747, 83 degrees here in the Twin Cities. Well, I think all of us have just uh, been struck by by these really terrible images of flooding uh, in southern Minnesota, southwestern Minnesota mostly, but in other parts of the state as well. Uh, Michelle Margraff is joining us now. She is a program leader with NOAA. And, uh, we are grateful to have her for her expertise and her insight into how bad things have been, perhaps, uh, concerns about the future. Uh, Michelle, thank you so much for joining us.
0: Oh, thank you. Thanks for right. having me.
2: All right. Let me ask you, uh, Michelle, I-, I was in the newsroom, um, a number of days ago, and we did send a crew out, uh, to southwestern Minnesota, Redwood Falls, that area. And the images that came back, I mean people in the newsroom were kind of going, oh my gosh, this is much worse than we thought. We'll have to send other crews. Uh, it, it came and I know that you folks were certainly forecasting it but it, it happened uh, suddenly for a lot of people in terms of how quickly it happened. Tell us about sort of the pattern and, and where it kind of cropped up and what, what the big trouble spots were.
0: Of course, we had an extremely heavy rainfall event in Southwest Minnesota, basically from Redwood Falls to Tracy down to Slayton. Um, Basically, during the pre-dawn hours on on Tuesday, July third, about six to ten inches of rain fell in that area, which is an incredible amount um, to receive in such a short period of time. That would have been uh, caused flooding issues, um, significant flooding issues alone. But because um, the prior month in June, that area had already seen double the normal amount of rain in June. Some locations in southwest Minnesota had seen 12 inches of rain in June already. The ground was already saturated. Um, usually when we have a heavy rainstorm, some of that water is going to soak into the ground. But in this case, the ground was already saturated from the June rain, and then you get this incredible rain event on top of it. So every drop pretty much run. Ran off into the rivers, into the low-lying areas. Wow! Um, it was it was just uh, even more impactful because of the heavy rain in June.
2: Okay, and um, in in terms of the areas that were hardest hit, um, how big an area was it?
0: Yeah, it, it encompassed the hardest hit area was a three county area: um, the Redwood County, Lyon County, uh, Marie County area. Um, the effects are kind of spreading out a little bit from that area now as the water makes its way through the, the river system. So we are seeing um, the effects get outside of that three county area right now.
2: And it, 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 you know, it in some areas I know it just came up really quickly. Uh, was that something that 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 you folks anticipated? Because you know. Uh, I know that that some of the the, you know, the the people that we've talked to in that area just talked about you know you know a playground or an area being sort of relatively dry, and then suddenly you know 24 hours later it was underwater.
0: Um, that was a function of how wet the soils the the ground was. Um, the the rain ran off so quickly. Usually it'll kind of make its way through the ground to some of the river systems, but it completely ran off quickly into those low lying areas and creeks and caused them to to rise rapidly. Um, in fact, um redwood falls um the redwood River there in six hours rose six feet in response to that heavy rainfall.
2: Wow, okay, because that that's that's where our, our crew was um earlier this week. um right now, um I, and I know that the governor's created uh, called for a state of emergency in many counties. um are there still some you know trouble spots and and obviously it's still a, a situation that people are monitoring, right?
0: Absolutely. Um, We were in touch with Redwood County. Um, The water in Redwood County is is receded, but they still have closed roads because of the damage to the roads where culverts were washed out um, that that they're still going to be dealing with there. The water is still high. um, When you talk about um, Brown County, the Cottonwood, the river itself is still really high in that area. So they have roads closed still with the water over the road. Um, So this is going to take a while for all this water to make its way through the system and and exit um, the flooded areas. The impacts on agriculture are going to be especially tough because um, the low-laying areas um, and some of the fields that were flooded by this heavy water, it's not able to drain into the ground because the ground is still saturated. Wow. Okay. So we need a period of time where we are dry to give that, that ground a chance to dry out and allow the, the water to reabsorb.
2: Okay, we are uh, talking with Michelle Margraff. Uh, she's a program leader with NOAA. Um, and just talking about the, the weather situation in, in terms of, of the farm fields, obviously a, a grave situation because this is not just, uh, you know, where people live. This is their livelihood and they're depending on it. Um, does it look like there's going to be enough of a drying spell or is, is there hope that the, that, that these fields can dry out enough so that some of these crops can be salvaged?
0: Um, there, There's a good um, sense right now that um, we're expecting mainly dry weather over this next week. We do have a a chance of rain tomorrow and uh, into Monday, Um, but for the overall week, the pattern is much drier than it has been, and with the sun that we've had over the weekend, um, um, the cloud-free skies, um, the more sun we can get and the more warmth we can get to evaporate that water at the ground and then dry out the ground. Um, that's all helping in this effort. Okay.
2: And, and again, so it was that that. Uh, and uh, tell me again the amount of rain that fell on that July third rain event because it sounds like that was just enormous.
0: Absolutely, um, it was six to ten inches uh, rainfall reports we were getting from the volunteer um, weather observers in the area. But they have the rain gauges; they report to us. And when we get over two inches of rain from a thunderstorm, you're usually going to have standing water. That's that's a significant rainfall. But when you get six to ten inches, that causes um, a lot of problems to begin with. Um, even if it had been dry, you get six to ten inches, you're going to have flooding in the area. But then you throw on this conditions from June, and it just is a double whammy.
2: Right. So, so right now, hoping for for a drying out period because I know that some of the waters have receded, right.
0: Yes, um, like the Redwood River is, is starting to reseed. Um We're still having issues on the Des Moines River um, that's uh, flowing uh, toward Iowa and then also the Cottonwood that's flowing into New Ulm. Some of that water from the Redwood and the uh, Cottonwood is flowing into the Minnesota River, so the Minnesota River comes up into the cities. So we're seeing some higher water, but the good news about the Minnesota River is it has more capacity for water, so we're not expecting the um, amount of flooding on the Minnesota River that we saw um, further upstream.
2: Okay. And, and, and in terms of the forecast, uh, are there any projections for, for water levels? You know, or, are they hopefully going to maintain, go down a little bit? Or is it just kind of touch and go depending on, on rain levels, you know, going forward?
0: Yeah. Based on the, on the current forecast, um, right now the river, the crest that's coming down the Minnesota River is at Mankato. It's cresting in Mankato. Um, it's going to crest on Monday in Henderson. Jordan is going to be on Tuesday. So it's just going to make its way downstream. Um, it's going to be high water, but it's going to be kind of a moderate impact um, just Great. because it's taken a couple of days to get here. Um, the real impact is still going to be in that area that had the 6 to 10 inches just trying to dry out and uh, reset the soil for agriculture and uh, recreation, and, and uh, we're hoping for as much dry weather as we can get.
2: Oh, we, we all certainly are. Thank you so much, uh, Michelle Margraf, uh Program Leader with NOAA. We certainly appreciate your insights this evening. Thank you. Okay, absolutely. All right, and, and praying for uh, lighter or dry weather, uh, especially in that area of southwestern Minnesota. As I said, we were um, all in the newsroom and we got those images back, um, and it was striking to see how bad that was on uh, the day before Jul- uh, the 4th of July, July 3rd, how devastating it was with, with those uh, heavy rains there. Uh, in that part of the state. So we will certainly keep track of that. We're certainly going to be watching uh, for that as well. Well, I do want to let you know that uh, coming up, we do have uh, Professor David Schultz of Hamlin University. uh I'm going to chat with him like about a number of issues. Uh, President Trump is expected to name his Supreme Court bid uh, as soon as Monday. In fact, I think that that's probably scheduled. A lot of lobbying back and forth about what kind of a pick uh, apparently there are – obviously it's going to be a conservative but there are different levels. Uh, some people think that, that some of the people on the list are are not conservative enough. Uh, so we'll talk to Professor David Schultz about that. He is of course uh, a professor of uh, political science but he is also uh, a constitutional law professor. So we'll get his analysis of that and then we'll get his take on, on the latest in, in political news. Obviously that uh, August 14th primary coming up pretty soon. You got some major, major races here. Uh, one of the latest, uh, bits of news in that, uh, all important attorney general's race is that, uh, Keith Ellison, uh, pulling in the heavyweight, uh, Bernie Sanders, who was extraordinarily popular here, uh, won the caucuses, uh, by an overwhelming margin. Uh, Senator Bernie Sanders is doing two rallies for Congressman Keith Ellison, uh, here in Minnesota, uh, this coming Friday. Both in Minneapolis and Duluth. Duluth, obviously, critical here, uh, in a number of areas. So we'll get Professor David Schultz's take on all that. So keep it here. You are listening, of course, to News Radio 830 WCCL.